Um, but I want to invite you to turn to the book of John and chapter 7. <clears throat> so as John is building his case for Jesus being the Son of God, uh, John is jumping around um, in terms of the chronology. So even when you read the words, after this, Jesus went up to Galilee, um, don't take that as this is sequential necessarily. The, the actual Greek phrase that there is not necessarily chronological. It can be, but it can also be part of an argument. And if you think about a argument, somebody's presenting a logical argument. They see point A, then point B, then point C. Well, what does then mean? Then means after this, after this, after this. All right. So while there is a chronology in John, um, some of this may overlap and, and events are happening. And For example, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 in chapter 6, which we covered last week, um, it's during Passover, which Jesus should not at all be in Galilee during Passover. He should be in Jerusalem. Um, and so there's things that are happening. But we're hitting another feast. Um, after this, Jesus went up about went about in Galilee. Um, and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, uh, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Um, so this is a fall festival, uh, the Feast of Booths, um, what's called uh, Sukkot. Um, and, uh, and he is, this is, uh, they get together after the harvest and they gather in Jerusalem. It's one of the major feasts uh, of the Jewish year. Um, but as, as they say to Jesus, hey, you should, you should go up to this feast. Do you notice anything weird about what his brothers say to him? So just take a look at what his brothers say to him. His brothers said to him in verse 3, leave here and go to Judea. Why? That your disciples... Anyone see a weird thing about that? Where were Jesus' disciples? They're with him. They're with him. So the, what are his brothers actually trying to do with Jesus? I mean, they say to Jesus, hey, you should go to Jerusalem so that your disciples can see the things that you're doing. Well, his disciples are sitting right next to him. Um, they, they've been with him the whole time. So hold on just a second. Let's get this little foamy thing on there. See if I can do this blind. That fixes some of that. All right. So Jesus' brothers have an ulterior motive to why they're sending, they want Jesus to go down. Now, we already know, we know that Jesus' brothers were not his biggest fans. Um, they were not impressed by their older half-brother um, who was going around and doing messianic things. Um, and we know that eventually some of his brothers come to faith. Uh, that's described in the book of Acts. Um, and that James and Jude, uh, who wrote books of the Bible, are probably Jesus' half-brothers. Um, that they're the sons of Mary and Joseph. Uh, 
but at this point in their lives, it, it, this is really like, this is really seems to be like, Jesus, just go away, right? Just, just go somewhere where there are other people so you can stop annoying us. Um, and so we're going to get into Jesus and his brothers and the Feast of Tabernacles and what Jesus has to say about why he does the things that he does. So let's join in a word of prayer and then we're going to get into the text. Father, once again, we come to your word. We, we come from lots of different directions and lots of different situations and conditions and, and positions. And Lord, we just pray that you would allow us to hear Jesus' voice. Above all of our voices, above the wind, above the distractions, above the confusion. Um, Lord, may we hear him and listen to him as he speaks in the authority that he alone possesses. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Literally everything up here is making noise. I got this going. I got papers ruffling. It is it's fine. All right. So Jesus talks to his, his brothers want him to go. They say, leave here, go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works you're doing for no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, if you remember, every time Jesus has done a miracle so far, what has he done? He leaves, right? He walks away, or, or he sends somebody somewhere. When he heals the lame man at the, at the pool, he, he sends him into the temple, and then Jesus runs into him later. He did, guy doesn't even know who, Jesus' name. He has no idea. Jesus keeps leaving, and his brothers seem to observe this. They certainly were at the marriage supper that their mother was at, and they knew that Jesus had turned the water into wine. Um, but they, they're saying to Jesus, you need to go. You need to show yourself openly. Go ahead and let people see what you're doing. And he knows their wrong perspective on him. Why would they want Jesus to go and show it openly? To, um, to reveal? They, they want him to get out there and do this thing. Now, by the way, this is the second time Jesus has said, my time has not yet come. Um, uh, he's going to say that in the next verse. They want Jesus to go out there and take credit for what he's doing. Now, I hate to project nefarious purposes on these guys, but I think they think that Jesus needs to be knocked down a notch. That if he does this in public, if he does these signs, uh, he's going to be told what's for, and he's going to chill out. He's going to He's going to stop causing trouble. He's going to stop pretending, walking around, telling people that Joseph wasn't his father. You know, we, we've got to deal with this. We've got, to, we've got to put him in his place. You know, there's another moment in the scriptures where a group of brothers decided to put their, their brother who was uh, causing trouble in his place. In the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph... Uh, who was one of the sons, one of the younger sons of Jacob or Israel, uh, was seeing dreams. And, and he was seeing dreams that indicated that the tribes would bow down to him. And his brothers were so upset by what he did that they actually sold him into slavery to just shut him up. They were originally going to kill him. I mean, it's pretty rough when selling, into, selling him into slavery is the better option. All right, But they were planning to kill him. And, and so they, they sold him into slavery just to get him out of here. Just, just get, you know, go ahead and prove your, see how your dreams work in Egypt. And this is kind of the same thing. 
Jesus' brothers are going to, they want him to go to Jerusalem and do these things in the temple so he can get smacked down, so he can be put in place. But Jesus, being the older brother, um, and, and I like to believe that, that you know, um, he, he uh, Jesus was not as sarcastic as sometimes I, I give him credit for. But then he says things like this. Now, verse, verse 5 says his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. See what he says? He says, well, it's not time for me to go to Jerusalem and show myself, but we already know who you are. We already know you're never going to do anything major. You you guys are hanging out here. You're already in your time. You've peaked in high school. This is the best case that you're going to be in. He says, your time is always here. The world cannot hate me. It cannot hate you. But it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Now, he's not saying he's not going up. It's just not time for him to go up yet. He says, you guys go ahead. You, you make the trek to the feast. I'm not going up yet. My time has not yet come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. Now, what does that mean, not publicly? Um, so, so again, when we're, we're talking about these feasts, you have to remember that one of the things that you did, particularly in this feast, um, you, you kind of, this was the feast right before the kind of the end of the liturgical year. And this was the feast, if you remember all the way back, uh, in John chapter one, this is that feast where the, the people would bring the offering, the temple offering, and they would present it. And if you remember, Jesus at one point, he talks about how people come into the temple and they blast trumpets and they let everybody know that they're coming to give their offerings. And you understand that that's not just an any day offering. That's not just an offering plate being passed once a week. This is a major offering. This is a major moment in temple worship. And everybody wanted you to know that they were going to make their offering. So when it says that he went up into Jerusalem publicly it, or privately, it means that although Jesus was a rabbi with a following and a group of disciples, and he had the right as a rabbi to be announced as he entered the temple, almost as like a, a challenge, you know, it's kind of like boxing, uh, uh, it, it, and I, I'm kind of only half joking about this, but you know, in boxing, let's get ready to rumble, and in this corner, well... The rabbis would announce themselves when they came to the temple to bring on challengers for debate. That's why they were there. They were going to have a conversation. They were going to have a debate. So Jesus of, of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, it shows up and in the red corner, Jesus of Nazareth, rabbi, son, daughter, son of Mary, and Joseph, and, and everybody's going to argue with him. Well, Jesus comes up privately. He just shows up as part of the crowd. No acclaim, no, no praise. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Some said, he's a good man. Others said, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So people are just privately talking because they're afraid of the, the and, and the Jews here is the ru ruling elite. 
And about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So no announcement. Jesus just goes to the temple and just starts talking. Just shows up in the middle of everything that's going on. Um, by the way, in the middle of the feast, which is not the time when you do that, you do it at the beginning of the feast. You show up, say, I'm Rabbi so-and-so. Your disciples all gather. You spend a couple of days tell everybody telling you how wonderful you are, winning a couple of debates, you know, having some feasts, and then you go on with the, the festival. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Middle of the feast, he gets up in the temple, begins teaching. The Jews, therefore, in verse 15, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning? Literally, how does, this is actually the Greek, is how does he know his letters? Um, where did Jesus get his degree? That's really what they're saying. How does, it, how does he have this learning when he has never studied? They've asked around to all the rabbis. Did, did you guys have a Jesus of Nazareth in your, your, uh, your school? Did you guys have a Jesus? Where did this guy learn all this? What is he doing? And in verse 16, Jesus answers them. Now I want you to watch what Jesus says. He says, my teaching is not mine. Remember, his brother said to him, you need to go up so everybody can see the signs. So Why? So they can know who you are. They need to know. You need to publicly proclaim yourself. Right, all the way back in in the verse uh, verse uh, four. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. And Jesus gets up publicly and says, "This is not my authority. I'm not here for me. My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will." He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. If you're not, you'll miss it if you're not careful. He is indicting their standard of truth. Here are all of these religious leaders at a festival of the Jews bragging about how smart they are, how quick they are, how fast they are, how big their discipleship is. If it was a gathering of Baptist preachers, they'd talk about weekly attendance, baptism, number of baptisms per year, and square footage of their sanctuary. But Jesus is there, and Jesus is, Jesus is speaking, and he says, this isn't my authority, this isn't my claim, I'm not here because of who I am, and anyone who knows the will of God would know what I'm about. Now, what did we read about them earlier? Some said he's a good man. Some said, no, he's leading astray. But for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about it. The worst part about these people is they, they can't make up their minds. They're, they're ambivalent. They're afraid. They're confused. They want Jesus to show them a sign. We know that from earlier. So he can prove who he is. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. If I were to ever uh, be president of a Bible college or a professor, that verse would be across the door of every single classroom. Uh, I, have a, I have people that I know very well who became pastors because that way people couldn't question them. I'm the pastor. 
Right? I, I must be right. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Ooh. Ooh. Jesus is, he's throwing down the gauntlet. Why do you seek to kill me? See, that's, what, that's part of what he's saying they're not keeping the law. They're out to get him. We know that they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of him. He says, how is that in conformity with Moses? Isn't that more in conformity with that other guy in that story, Pharaoh, who was out trying to kill people? Isn't that more in line with, uh, you, you're looking to kill me. How does that ever fit with the law of Moses? I'm about the will of God and you're trying to kill me. How does that jive? The crowd answered, this is the best response to that question. You have a demon. Why does he have a demon? Because he dared to challenge them. He must have a demon. How could he possibly challenge the religious institution? How could he possibly challenge all of us? He must be wrong. A group of people that can't agree about anything. The entire Talmud is Jewish rabbis arguing about stuff. That is the entire thing. Rabbi this says that. Rabbi says that. Rabbi says, says that. This is how it goes. The whole thing is their, their argument. They can't agree about anything except Jesus' trouble. On that point, they have no equivocation. And Jesus answered them, oh, that you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Which is hilarious um, because Jesus already knows they're trying to kill him. And Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Do you, do you know what he's talking about? It's been a year since he healed that guy at the pool of Bethesda. It's been a year. We know because there's a Passover in between. He, it's been a year since he healed that guy at the pool of Bethesda and they are still mad about it. They are still angry with Jesus for daring to heal a man on the Sabbath. That gives context to what Jesus says. Uh, verse 22. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but it's from the fathers. Because it, it came from Abraham, not from Moses. But he's making that point. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's body well. Point, game, match. Jesus says to them, listen, so for a year, you've been stewing on how to get me because on my way to the feast, I stopped at the pool where no one else was helping the lame men. They were being dumped at this pool while you all went to be holier than thou. And I, I didn't even touch the guy. I just talked to him. I didn't even do any work. All I did was heal him. I didn't do anything except heal him. He was healed. You got mad because he was carrying his cot. And you've been walking around with that in your craw for a year. I'm the one that's got a demon? I'm the one that's the problem? 
you're willing to circumcise a man. And they literally made laws. It was legal to take a, a convert to Judaism and circumcise him on the Sabbath. That was okay. That wasn't a work. Because that added to their prestige. That added to their power. That added to their number count. So they could do that. But Jesus could not, without lifting a finger, allow a man who had never been in the temple to be pure enough to go and be in the temple of God. Now, it's easy to see when somebody like this is, is talking to you why they wanted to kill him. He was a rabble-rouser. The world will never be changed by well-behaved Jewish boys who follow the rules. So much of modern scholarship about Jesus, and anybody who studied modern Jesus studies will tell you this, so much about the modern state of Jesus studies is demoting Jesus from being the rabble-rousing son of God who turned the world upside down to being some illiterate Jewish uh, pe peasant from Galilee who just had some good ideas. Well-behaved Jewish boys from Galilee don't turn the world upside down. But Jesus was not a rebel. You need to understand this. Jesus was not a nonconformist. The issue was not that Jesus had a rebellious spirit. The issue was that when you rebel against a sinful system, it looks like rebellion, but it's really righteousness. Jesus simply said, this is not according to the law. This is not according to God. This is not the way it should be. At this point, Jesus isn't even talking about the forgiveness of sins. He's not even talking about going to the cross. He's not even dealing with all of that, that theological stuff that comes afterwards, after he sacrifices, after he's crucified, after he's buried, after he's raised again. There's a whole other world there. Right here, he's just saying, you're not even keeping the rules. How can I conform to you when you are not conformed to God? My authority does not arise from you. My authority arises from him. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was a pain in the neck. No one in the religious institution liked this guy, and the things that they didn't like about him were the very things that they needed to change. One wonders why Jesus wasn't wildly popular. Why he didn't have a domain name. Why he didn't have uh, a TV show. Uh, people, people often talk about this, this whole, you know, why, why was it that Jesus is, if, you, if you're old enough to remember, there was a list of the most influential people in history that came out when I was about three years old. So I don't really remember it either, but it, it was, I've seen it since. Um, and Jesus was actually like number 18 or 19. And Paul was like number two or number three. And the argument was that, well, without Paul, nobody would know who Jesus was. That was the argument. Jesus was not a wildly popular motivational speaker. 
People don't say things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you, you, that, that doesn't really, you know, that doesn't, doesn't sell books. But that wasn't purpose, Jesus' purpose. Jesus' job was not to be a well-behaved, rule-following conformist. Jesus was here to change the world. And I don't mean to change our thinking, to change our mindset, to change our morality or our ethics. Jesus was here to change the world. Jesus steps into our reality with all of its warped priorities that are focused on self and accomplishment and success. I mean, how do you tell the difference between somebody who is living the American dream and someone who isn't living the American dream? What's the difference between those two things, money and assets? How do we tell the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person? Well, a successful person has all of these things, and we go down and listen. What do they ultimately boil down to? Money, possessions, power. That's how we define it. That's how the Jews defined it. You got enough disciples to make a showing at the temple, you're worth listening to. You're some guy from Galilee who shows up privately in the crowd speaking at the wrong time, we're going to kill you. Jesus hasn't even made his most radical claims yet. All he's asking for them is to actually abide by the law they claim to be teaching. And they are so upset because he healed a lame man. Their priorities are so messed up that they are willing to kill him rather than admit they might be wrong on this point of the law. They are willing to say that he is demon-possessed rather than change their thinking in any way, shape, or form. They try to disqualify his education they try to challenge his authority, and when that doesn't work, they just flat out insult him and attack him. I think one of the most extraordinary things about Jesus, and I know that he's son of God, but the man not only put himself in the line of fire for the right reason, but then he stood and he took it. Because he believed in his mission. I have, um, and this is not a commentary or anything, but I have this thing about, I guess it is a little bit, I have this thing about social media. Um, there are certain things that if people post them, I just unfollow you. You know, I'm still friends with you, but I just unfollow you. Um, if you post more than one unchecked, meme that contains falsehood, I just unfollow you. Um, if you post more than one meal, you do not need to know, I need to see what you're eating. Um, I'm okay, I'm eating too, we're all doing it. You know, now it's one thing to occasionally post something and say, wow, this was the most amazing meal I've ever had, I went to this restaurant, but when all I ever see is your food or your, are you making a duck bait? I just unfollow you. So as a result, most of the people that I, I know on social media, I don't see their updates. What happens on Facebook and places like that is when you unfollow a lot of people that are on your friend list, 
they you get to see ads just one after the other now you already get to see a lot of ads but i get to see more right cuz i just get ad 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 oh look an aikido video other than the ad 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 and because facebook's algorithm matches your um, vocation your role the things you talk about with their ads guess what i get ads for seven steps to be a better pastor 16 ways to increase your in, increase your giving this and that then that this school of prophecy this school of the holy spirit this i get the craziest stuff you have ever seen it, i used to think it was bad because i would get postcards about this stuff now it's on my computer all the time and it's it's hide you know don't follow, hide, don't follow, report, hide, don't follow, the constantly. I think one of the biggest problems with the church is that we stand with the church, lower C, and we forget about Christ. We, we, we forget about his authority. We all want to talk about, we want to talk about his salvation. We want to talk about his love. We want to talk about his grace. But we don't want to talk about the authority he speaks with. We don't, we're not willing to take that authority that he, he says that he has and stand with him in the line of fire. Instead, unfortunately, I think sometimes the church, lower C, now I'm not talking about Bedford Road, I'm talking about the church, gets focused on some of the things of the people that were away from Jesus. They, they get focused on issues that they think are important and really aren't. I got an ad to double baptisms. I want you to think about what that says. We have a formula we have a plan, we have a program to double your baptisms. I have so many questions about that. First of all, I was under the impression that people got baptized when they came to faith in Jesus Christ. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't think I am. I think I'm right, right, right? I think we're pretty straightforward. I, my understanding is baptism is somebody saying yes and finishing the process of coming to Christ. I could be wrong. So that program says, and get this, understand this, programs like that say, we know better than the Holy Spirit on how to get converts into your church. Or even worse, we know how to manipulate the Holy Spirit, or we claim to know how to manipulate the Holy Spirit to get people into your church. That's a dangerous, slippery road. That's a slippery road. What's more important is that we stand with Christ. Our music stand, needs to stand with Christ. Our preaching needs to stand with Christ. Our Bible teaching needs to stand with Christ. Our children's ministry needs to stand with Christ. Our maintenance and facilities needs to stand with Christ. 
our, our, our sound system and our video stream and our pastoral care and our visits and our friendships and our relationships, they need to stand with Christ. The programs that we put together, the ideas that we put forward, they need to be standing in the authority of Christ. Not just that it's a good idea, even if it's my good idea. But is it standing with Christ? The alternative is to just be a well-behaved, suburban, New England church. It gets along, and everyone knows where we are. We have a reasonably good reputation. Or we could be like Christ and be rabble-rousers, troublemakers. Not because we want to be troublemakers, but because the world has different priorities than Christ does, and we stand with him. I know this isn't a deep and profound message, but it's something we need to be reminded about probably more often than we do. And you say, you say this pretty often. I do, but maybe we need to. Our purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job is the preaching of the gospel to those who don't know Christ. Our job is not to be comfortable and happy. Now, if we are comfortable and happy, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm not opposed to cushy chairs. I'm really not. Neither are you after 45 minutes to sitting in those park benches. I'm not opposed to that. But our job, our purpose, our role is to preach Christ. And if we don't allow preaching Christ to pervade everything we do, before too long, we'll be in the same stick as the Jews. We, we will be in the same place, looking at what God is doing and going, ew, and trying to find ways to kill the work of the Holy Spirit because it doesn't fit with who we are. And I'm not saying we're doing that. There's no one here trying to do that that I know of. I'm just saying we have to be aware of that. Um, if it's not for Christ, then why are we doing it? What are we doing? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, always we have to be reminded of the centrality of who you are and what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do. Always we have to correct our course to realign with you. And this is true of all of us. It's true of me. It's it's just so hard sometimes to stand when you're in the line of fire and you're getting hit and you're, you're getting knocked down. It's so much easier to go with the flow, to be well behaved. But that's not what you called us to do. You called us to preach an unpopular message that all men are sinners 
All women are sinners. All children are sinners. And we, every one of us, need to come to you and accept you as our Lord and Savior. Repent of our sins. Turn to you. And be transformed and renewed and revived and redeemed and justified and atoned for and a million other theological ideas. And once we have come to faith, we must continually return to our faith, be recentered and be renewed. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit at work in our church. We pray for those who minister in visible and, and, and not seen ways throughout our, our church and our ministries. Lord, that we might constantly be returned to our focus on you. We might constantly refocus and renew and revive and, and stand up again always for you. We pray this in your precious and holy name. My brothers and sisters, uh, my family is out of here. Um, we have to leave to go to Virginia, so we won't stick around for lunch. Um, but if you want to say goodbye to the youngest of the DeVitros, um, now is the chance to do it because she is headed to Virginia, and we won't see her again until Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, you're just...